Good job, Will. That's a great old song. I love peace in the valley. Uh, (laughs) I'll forget it. If If you have your Bibles today, hopefully, turn back to Proverbs chapter 4. Last couple of weeks, we've looked at the great contrast presented uh, in Proverbs chapter 4 on uh, the results of walking on the paths of righteousness and the result of walking on the paths of uprightness and uh, unrighteousness, excuse me. And uh, I I told you there's only two ways to go through life. They may look like there's a million different avenues of life, but when it all comes down to it, there's only two. And it's either walking on the path with the Lord and the Word of God and the principles or walking your own way with the things of the world, but there's only two ways to go. And you remember I gave you the six admonitions found in verses 14 and 15, uh, that Solomon gave us, and uh, they're great advice on, uh, on keeping yourself on that path. And I, we saw, and I laid out how that if you follow uh, these, uh, it's going to provide some things for you. It'll provide a buffer against the temptations in life, and temptations in life are always going to be there. There'll never be a time when, on this side of heaven where we don't have to deal with it. It'll provide a check on our passions, a block to the sins in our lives that uh, gives us problems and how uh, they take these principles and they'll sharpen our conscience to follow the process of biblical principles in our lives. I showed you the great story in the Old Testament in Judges about Samson. His life is such a picture of our lives in the New Testament and how that <clears throat> certainly we saw how he got off the path that God had for him. He was supposed to be a Nazarite separated unto a life unto God. And yet he got off that path and, and caused all kinds of problems. And I, I, I laid out last week how that sin in our lives, in, in his life, and it certainly in a spiritual way happens in our life, how that sin blinds us. He got his eyes put out. How that the Philistines, who picture the world, bounding with chains and ropes, and he could not break them. Picture of the world binding you And then they hooked him up to a grist mill that grinds wheat. And for the rest of his life, he was destined to go around in a circle and never change anything that he did. And I showed you how that, how that, that's a picture of sin in our lives today, how that sin will blind us, that sin will bind us, and then sin will grind us. It's a great study in the Bible. Now, today we're going to close out this chapter and read and examine And then we're going to make some comments on the last section of verses, but I want to pick it up in verse 20 today. And it says this, My son, attend to my words, and climb thine ear unto thy sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes, keep them in the midst of thine heart. For they are life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Put away from thee a froward mouth, and perverse lips put far from thee. Let thine eyes look right on, and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet, and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand, nor to the left. Remove, uh, remove thy foot from evil. Now, Father, we thank you and praise you today for the Lord Jesus, and we love you. 
We thank you for the folks that have come out today, and we pray now as we open up the book. And, uh, Lord, our whole goal here in this church is just to help people uh, have a better relationship with you. And, Lord, we know that nothing will do that other than the Word of God. There's a lot of things out there today that churches, pastors, and people talk about. uh, But, Lord, there will be nothing that will take the place of that intimate relationship of just knowing your Word. So help us today in what we do today and what we do on Thursday and the many one-on-one sessions that we have and discipleship and all of the things that we try to do to help people in the Word of God. Help us. Help us to put it all together. Help these people to grow, to love you as they love your word. And Lord, may they be found productive in their lives because that's the reason that you saved them. And we'll be careful to give you all the honor and the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, for a sake we ask it, amen. Now, I want you to notice verse 20 says, again, my son. This is the ninth time now we've found that in, in, our, in our four chapters. And I told you how that when you want to understand the book of Proverbs, you've got to look at it in the three ways that all of the Bible lays itself out. The Bible lays itself out in a historical application. And in a historical application, he's writing to his son, Rehoboam. So he says, my son. Now, in a doctrinal application, we've been studying this on Thursday night. In fact, we just studied last week God's relationship to the nation of Israel that my son here doctrinally will be the nation of Israel. And he's given Israel instructions in Exodus chapter 4 in a corporate sense. I told you this is one of the ways that you study the nation of Israel, a number of ways, but you study it as my son. So he's saying my son. In a practical application, in an inspirational format, he's talking to you and me. And we can make the spiritual application to our lives because through a new birth, through trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as our own personal Savior, we too are God's son today. So that's how the whole thing uh, really lays itself out. In fact, I've told you this before. The first uh, seven chapters, really of Proverbs, really isn't any Proverbs in them. The Proverbs don't start till chapter 8. It's all instructions. It's all how to get your heart, your life on the right path and the right things so that when we get to chapter 8, you can really grasp and take in the real truths of the Word of God so we can receive as we've been studying the instructions of the Lord. Now, I want to center our message today around one of the verses in this chapter, and then we'll kind of just work around on both sides of it. But it's a verse that I think is probably one of the most important principles to understand in dealing with life, especially those of you who have committed yourself with me to work with people. And uh, uh, with all the issues of life and all of the things that it contains, uh, this is probably one of the greatest truths. I personally think uh, this verse is, is probably the key to everything in life for a Christian, in my own opinion. And it's found in verse 23 where he says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Now, the issues of life, man, what a subject. I mean, uh, we're in this world whether you're saved or whether you're lost, and issues will come up. And in the ministry and dealing with people and their problems and trying to help them and trying to get them through some things and establish them in a new life or a new set of principles, it'll always be around this simple principle. What you're up against, what you're going to have to deal with are the issues of life. And when we don't follow the paths of righteousness in life, then believe me, we're going to have some issues in life. It will develop issues in three basic areas of your life. 
Uh, when you work with people, when I work with people, uh, it's, just, it, it's not complicated. It's just understanding some of these simple, basic things. Let me explain it to you. A life of sin or off the path of righteousness are going to always develop emotional issues in our lives. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28, one of my favorite verses, it says, He that hath no rule over his own spirit, it's like a city broken down without walls. If you don't have control of your emotions, if you don't have your emotions in check by the principles of the Word of God that dictate how you feel about circumstances and how you approach circumstances, you're going to have some problems. You're going to have some issues in your life. And it's, a, it's an incredible aspect that a, a life of doing it your own way, a life of deciding how you're going to do it, when you're going to do it, where you're going to do it, is going to develop some emotional issues. Then the second thing is a life of sin will develop some physical issues. Galatians chapter 6 verse 8 says, If we sow to the flesh, shall of the flesh we reap corruption. There's not just a, an emotional trauma in in a life off the path of righteousness, but there's physical things. You can't have emotional problems without it affecting you physically. Many, I mean, the first time, you know, you, you get a phone call at two o'clock in the morning and you're feeling fine or any time during the day and you're on the top of the world and you're having a great time and you get one phone call of some disaster or something that happened in your family or someone you love or close to you and immediately it affects you physically. You get that sick feeling in your stomach, and it affects you emotionally. And you cannot get off the path of righteousness and not have it affect you in your, your emotional issues of life and in your physical issues of life. And certainly, the third one, a life of off the path of God's righteousness, will develop spiritual issues in your life. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says, fleshy lusts, which war against the soul. Now, these three areas were where you have the problems. And in time, these issues will become a cocktail mix, if you please. You hear a lot today about people dying by taking a cocktail mixture of drugs. A lot of the movie stars that died here recently, when they finally do the autopsy and find out what killed them, you know, they'll find out that they took five or six different drugs. Michael Jackson died that way. He took five or six different drugs that... Each one by itself was okay, but you mix them in what they call a cocktail where you're taking eight or nine different drugs at the same time. The compounding effect of all those drugs on your system takes your life. And in time, these issues of emotional issues, spiritual issues, and physical issues will develop themselves through the issues of life that they bring a cocktail mix of emotional problems, physical problems, and spiritual problems, and they will in time destroy you. It's just that simple. A life off the path of God's righteousness never gets any better. It only gets worse. It only compounds itself. It only develops itself. The emotional problems don't go away. You don't fix them by buying something new and feeling good for a short period of time. You don't fix it by just, uh, you know, going out and reading some kind of book on how to self-improve yourself. It doesn't happen that way. These things are tied back to a spiritual relationship that you need to have with God. And when you don't have it, it'll produce areas of your life that you struggle with. And these are the issues of life that we have to deal with. Now, the great lesson out of these 
uh, principles here in Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 through 27. And the thing that I hope you take with you today is that the issues that we all have, whether they're emotional, physical, or spiritual, I hope that you see this, that the issues that we all have go back to a single source. And that single source is our attitude of heart. It's simply that simple. That's why verse 23 says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it, the heart, are the issues of life. Go in the world we live in, I don't, I, I don't put a lot of stock in these medical guys that come on the television. One day they'll tell you that coffee will kill you, and then the next month they come out and say it'll prolong your life. They'll tell you one day that it's no good, and then the same thing that they told you, you know, three months later there'll be another study. It all comes down to they don't know what in the world they're talking about. But it's, it always amazed me how that they continually will come up with the number one killer of somebody. The number one killer with women is at some point will be breast cancer. With men, it'll be prostate cancer. With, uh, you know, it'll be, it'll be uh, uh, lung cancer. It'll be this, it'll be that. Now the big kick is the number one killer of men in America is heart disease. And, you know, having a heart attack, heart issues are the number one killer of men in America. But I want to say to you on the authority of the Word of God as the attending physician to this church in a spiritual sense, I can tell you that heart disease has always been the number one killer of men and women, spiritually. Because it all goes back to your heart. It all starts there. You know, we, we, we don't understand how important that is many, many times. I, 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 I don't think we do. Uh, I don't think, you know, uh, life is so complicated today. And, uh, you know, when God, when God did it all, he, he did it very, in a very simplistic way. Anybody know what the theory is of, of, of Occam's razors? Anybody know what that theory is? Simplest is the best. What now? Simplest is the best. That's right. He was a, I don't know what he was. I don't know if he was a philosopher. He lived back in the 1200s, about 1280-something to 13-something. To but he come up with the idea that even police guys use today when they're faced with a crime to solve. And his theory was that the, when you have all of these different areas out there and you don't have any real truth about anything, your stock went up about 10 points with me, Kevin. That's pretty good that you know that. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. You're the only one in the whole crowd that knew what it was. <laughs> well, don't get too big a head about it. We don't want you to fall out of the chair. But anyway, <laughs> he said that when you're faced with all these decisions and all these issues and you don't know which one it goes, as Kevin said, the simplest one is usually the right answer. And, and that's, that's so true. Now, I don't know if he was a Christian or not. I, I don't really know that much about him. But I know that that's based on the Bible. Because the, the best life you can have will be the simplest life you can have. Amen. You know, God's plan of life was a garden. It was the murderer who created the city. God's plan is always simple. God's path of righteousness is always a simple way. You know... The, in our society, the, the, the more we older we get, the, and we're all like this, the, the more we want to have. You know, we see out there, you know, you go to the mall many times. You just walk through the mall to see what you don't have, you know. And you're, you're constantly bombarded in your eyes on TV and billboards of what you don't have. And we have this desire that we, you see it on the bumper, bumper stickers on cars, usually trucks, redneck guy driving, you know. 
about their toys. The older the boys, the bigger their toy, and all that stuff, you know. Who dies with the most toys win? No, you don't. But that's the prevailing thought, you see, today. And so we think that the more we get and the bigger and shinier it is, the happier we are. But that's not true. You want to meet the happiest people in the world, go down to the Smoky Mountains someplace down there and watch and talk to people that live in a log cabin that don't have power, electricity, don't have any. They have, a, you, they have us beat hands down. You know why? Their life is so much simpler. Our life is so complicated. The more stuff we have, the more you worry about somebody taking it from you. The more stuff you have, the more you got to maintenance it. The more stuff you have, you got to put it away when you're done with it. Not all of us, but some of you do. <laughs> and it's a, it's a thing where the simplest life is the best life. And in our world that we live in, you know, it's always a thing where now it's the, it's the it's, you know, it's, it's heart disease. Yes, it's always been heart disease. Because the Bible says that the issues of life start in our hearts. And, and, and we know about the heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, and who can know it? Mark 7, 21 says that the things that defile a man will come from his heart. Now, the answer, obviously, to all this is to get saved. But even in salvation and getting saved, it takes getting a new heart. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, very familiar verses, says that a man must believe in his heart and obey from his heart before he can be saved. You got people out there, I meet them all the time, they, they say, I'm saved. When you start to ask them about salvation, they don't know one thing about what happened the day they got saved. They don't know what sin is. They don't know how it, they don't know what they were. They, they, we live in a world that it, it's just absolutely salvation. The most simplest thing in the world has been made so complicated. Then after you get salvation in your heart, what do you do? Then you start a process of getting the Bible, Bible principles. And you hide them in your heart, as Psalms 119 verse 11 says, that you might not sin against God. Because Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. As Matthew 12, 34 says, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You see, the manifestation of a heart will always be seen outwardly in our lifestyle, what we talk about. And that's why the Bible says that we're to keep it with all diligence. Now, the Christian life and the attitude of heart is everything. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but in the Bible alone, there's over 800 times it makes a reference to man's heart. The uses of life will always start in the heart, and as you allow yourself to be influenced by wrong things, in time, it takes your heart away from God. We saw it on Thursday night with the nation of Israel. And now you're on the wrong path of a way of life. And we've talked about that for the last couple of weeks on Sunday morning. And the issues that confront us in life are not the things from the world, the flesh, and the devil directly, but through the attitude of our heart about those things, and when we allow them, as we saw last week, to enter into our lives, what does it do? It gives us an opportunity, an open door to walk through to do the wrong things. And this is why I, I, I talk about all the time the importance of getting God's mind. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. We have the mind of Christ, the principles of the Word of God that actually dictate through your spirit 
through your soul all of the things that we're supposed to do. The six admonishments that I gave you last week. Changing the pattern of how you think. Looking at things from the God's perspective. Quit looking at it from your own perspective. Learning how to respond to something through biblical principles. Then to react to it through your own personal human spirit. This is the real issue in daily living. And the real issues of daily living are simply to protect our heart and our heart attitude. And all the crises that we have in life. And boy, we have some crises, don't we? All the drama that we have in life. (laughs) We have some drama. All of the turmoil, all the heartache for so many people that they experience, and even in their families. The worry that we all go through. God's people who ought to be on top of the world, having depression, going to psychiatrists or therapists, getting put on some kind of Prozac Christianity where it, it, when, when the Word of God gives you everything that you need, the bitterness that people hold into their lives, the anger that they have over things that should have been forgiven and forgotten years ago, the frustration that people go through in dealing with circumstances. People, hey, people can be frustrating. But the only place you're going to ever go to a place where there's no frustration with people is a place where there are no people. And you forget how frustrating we were to God the first time God began to deal with us. Envy, jealousy, fear, anxiety. The issues of family problems, marital problems, the issues of of, of broken relationships. And it comes down to when these things affect your, your emotional side, your physical side, and your spiritual side, your cocktail mix of these things produce your own personal little hell on earth. And you struggle with them every day. And in every case, in every case without exception, it will start in your heart. And in the manifest, manifesting itself as the issues we face in life, that defeat us so easily. The compounding of effect of a lethal spiritual concoction or a cocktail of spiritual problems, emotional problems, and physical problems left unchecked and not knowing how to deal with them. Now, you heard me say this many times. There's not very, there's not very many victims in life. I deal with people's problems all the time, and, you know, somebody always is trying to portray themselves as a victim. Well, I'm the wrong guy to do that with. I understand that there, there, there are cases where somebody is a victim of things, you know, in, in bad marriages or bad relationships or, or parents that just are pretty much uh, don't have a clue. Uh, the, the real victims will always be the children. I understand that. But in in life and the things that we deal with as adults, there are very few victims. But we love to play the victim role. We do. Do. I do. We all do. Because when you play the victim, what it does, it, it takes any accountability away from you. Then you don't have any responsibility for the problem because you're the victim. And, you know, it's a thing where if I, you walk out of church here this afternoon and somebody mugs you, well, you're pretty much a victim there. Now, if you're down someplace uh, in the hood where you shouldn't be at 2 o'clock in the morning and you get mugged, what do you expect, you see? So there's not a lot of victims in a lot of things, but there are a few every every once in a while. But we love to play the victim role. There was a time when drugs and alcohol were dealt with as sin. 
And it was looked at and preached as sin. It's not that way anymore. Now, now they're telling you that, you know, that uh, if you're an alcoholic or you're a drug addict, that it's in your genes. It's in your family makeup. It's in everybody in your family that had it, a history of it down the line. So, you know what? You, you have a, you know, just like if your dad or all your family dies of cancer, then you got a pretty good chance of, of, of getting cancer. I get that. Cancer is the disease. But alcoholism and drugs is a sin. You don't need your mommy and your daddy and your aunt and your uncle to be drug addicts and alcoholics for you to drink. You got an old sin nature that will fix that for you right there on the spot. What you need in that case is the word of God to undo what we all have in our old sin nature. But you see, when you take that position that I'm a victim. It was my mom and my dad and my aunt and my uncle and all those people that were alcoholics and drug abusers. And now here I am. I'm a victim. You take responsibility out of your life for it. There's no accountability. You always can blame it on somebody else. Find the same thing in the homosexual and the lesbian world. It's that God sent me down the wrong escalator, the wrong elevator, the wrong track, and I got the wrong parts, and I'm really a woman, but I want to be, become out a man. You know, it just happened that way. It's not my fault of my own. No, no, not at all. Now, there are some things that are genetic and hereditary, but, but in the sense of your sin, it always starts in your heart. It doesn't start with your parents. It doesn't start with your mom or your dad or your aunt or your uncle. Sin starts in your heart, and out of the heart comes the issues of life. But when we want to get out of that and not take any responsibility and be satisfied with what we are so we can continue to do it, we, don't, we want to play the victim. Oh, I know how it goes. I know how it goes. And I've said it many, many, it's the Samson syndrome, you see. I know Samson always portrayed himself as a victim. He always come to the place where he always, he, he saw the path, he went down it, and he's always sorry, and he's always this, and he's always that, but he never changes his lifestyle. I've said it many, many times. Our worst enemy that we, we ever face will not be just the world. No, it, the world's got its problems and they'll mess you up. But that's not your worst enemy. Your worst enemy is not the flesh, though your flesh will give you tremendous problems. And your worst enemy is not the devil. And he's out as a roaring lion seeking who may devour. I understand that. I get it. Our worst enemy will always be ourselves. What we do, especially if you're saved, because if you're saved, you have or should have the Holy Spirit of God inside you to help you make the right choices. For we are totally responsible and accountable to accept and receive the instructions of God, but we simply refuse to do it. My wife has a little sign on a refrigerator, a little magnetic sign, and it, it, it says, I see it every day, it says, you know, no one can drive you crazy in life unless you give them the car keys. And, and that is so true. That is so true. Nobody will lead you astray from God until you first give them the keys to your life. And the keys to your life will be your attitude of heart. When you start loving somebody more than God, something more than God, then you're in trouble. I, I've seen it all in my life when a, a girl will get with a guy or a guy will get with a girl. And I can tell at the get-go that it's headed down the wrong, the wrong road. Because I've seen girls, you know, that when they find the guy in their life or the guy finds a girl in his life, they'll spend all day long talking to him on the phone. They don't go a day without talking four or five hours. And the problem with that is, 
I guarantee you, you never took four or five hours to talk to God every day. They want to be with them all day long, do everything, think about them. I guarantee you, you never thought about God to that great degree that you wanted to be to Him and spend all that time Him and give Him all that time that you're giving that guy or giving that girl. You know why the problem is? Somebody stole your heart. And you, when, you, when your heart is where it needs to be, it doesn't get moved. You work things through your heart, not around your heart. You never give your heart to somebody. I know we said Valentine's Day, February. We all gave our heart away. <laughs> and if you did what I did, you go down to you go down to the <laughs> store. Yep, that'll work. Out the door you go. <laughs> you know, bottom line is this. We talk about that. You can't give your heart away to somebody else. Unless you take it from God first. Amen. It's just the way it is. The, the, every problem we have, every issue in life that we face starts right in here. Starts with our heart. And when you give somebody else your heart, just like you give somebody your car keys. It's tough for me to say, officer, he stole my car. And they finally pull the guy over and they get the guy out. And the guy says, yeah, I took it. Here's the keys. Well, where'd you get the keys? Well, he gave them to me. It's hard to get a conviction that somebody stole your car when you gave him the keys. It's hard to get a conviction that, you, that, that you're the victim in things when you gave your heart to something else or somebody else out. It's the key to your life. And the Bible says that out of that heart are the issues of life. You misplace it, put it over here, don't be diligent with it, you're going to have some issues. It's just that simple. You're going to have some issues. Now, in verse 23 through 27, again, you're going to find seven great admonitions on the issues of life. What a subject. A biblical process to keep yourself from all the issues that will drop you in your tracks, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Now, here's a great study on the principles of the issues of life. Now, the first thing he says, we're going to break these down here in verse 23. He says this. He says, keep thy heart with all diligence. Now, he says, keep your heart. Worry about your own heart, not somebody else's. I don't know how many of God's people I meet, they're always worried about somebody else. They're always saying, well, they're doing this or they're doing that. You know what? You need to worry about yourself. You don't need to be out there going out there reading somebody else's heart. You don't have a, 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 a meter reader on somebody else's attitude of heart. And most people are out there telling about everybody else or telling everybody else. You need to worry about your own. He says there, keep thy heart with all diligence. Bible says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. That's the hardest thing you'll ever try to do in life. It takes diligence, but it must be done. You see, diligence is self-control, something not too many people have today. Diligence is self-motivation, something most people don't have today. Diligence is self-determination. I'm going to do this because it's right instead of doing this that's maybe not right. Not much of that today. It's self-discipline. I'm going to structure myself. I'm going to have a, <clears throat> things in my life that I'm going to follow. And this is not much of that today. It's your working every day to keep your heart 
in the right place. You know, Old Testament's filled with stories that illustrate, illustrate New Testament principles. And I've always been amazed at the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra and Nehemiah are books that are written, and they go along with what we studied Thursday night. When Israel goes into captivity in 721, the northern tribes, and 606, the southern tribes, they're gone for 70 years. And this is where the book of Esther comes in. And then the book of Esther leads us to the book of, of Ezra, and then the book of Nehemiah in, in the scheme of things. And what you have there is Esther's the queen, and she paves the way for, uh, for the king to let Israel go back after 70 years. And a small remnant goes back. And Ezra and Nehemiah have always been two great books for me in my own personal life, because in Ezra they build the temple. Now, in an Old Testament nation of Israel, the temple is everything. They have absolutely nothing with God if they don't have the temple. Everything, everything that that Jew, the nation of Israel had with God runs through the priesthood, through that temple, which is situated in Jerusalem. So the first thing they build is the temple. And then the next thing they begin to build, once they start the temple, is they begin to build in the book of Nehemiah, they begin to build the wall around the city. Now, I don't know what you know about what they did back then, but in any city in the Old Testament, they have a wall around it. That wall, in some cases, was 60, 70, 80, 100 feet high, 40 feet thick. And what it does, it had certain gates, but it limited access to the city. And when another nation would attack them, they just wall up the, uh, shut the doors, lock everything down, and they couldn't get over the wall. They put their archers on top, and they'd shoot them in, you know, and they couldn't get in. That produced another way that they did it. They just laid siege to it. I think the first time Nebuchadnezzar come down to Jerusalem uh, to take it, he come down, I think, three times. And, and one of the times he came down, he just laid siege to it for two years. He just circled it, nobody in, nobody out, no food in, no food out. And uh, nobody gets in, nobody gets out, and he starves them out. And that was the downside of the wall. When you study Jerusalem, Jerusalem was the city that was crucial to the nation of Israel. So they built the wall. The wall protected the city. They put watchmen on the walls, if you study the book of Ezekiel and Isaiah. And those watchmen looked out there for anything that would harm, and they'd sound to alarm if anything would come. They actually come to the place where the elders sat at the gate, the main gate, and they scrutinized everybody coming in and coming out, make sure nobody undesirable came in. Now that wall around that city, that temple that they built is a picture of your body. It's really a picture of your attitude of heart. Because your body is nothing with God if you don't have the right attitude of heart toward God. And just as the city of Jerusalem wasn't nothing without the temple, your body for God isn't nothing without your attitude of heart being in the right place. So you know why they built the wall? They built the wall to protect the city that protected the temple. Now, we just took a couple of weeks ago Isaiah chapter 28, and I showed you about how that you laid a principle upon principle, doctrine upon doctrine, here a little, there a little, and I likened that to building a wall. You see, the wall around Jerusalem is a picture of you building the wall of biblical principles around your life. It keeps the undesirables out. It protects you your temple. 
Then that wall you build around you, every one of them by course is a biblical principle and a doctrine that you learn, that you put around you, that when outside influences come or somebody tries to get you to do this or somebody tries to get you to part of this, it bounces off that wall when it can't penetrate. It's your protection. And a city without a wall is broken down. And so many of God's people today, the reason why they never get the victory in their life to be whatever God wants them to be. And he has something for you. Every one of you, if you're saved here, he has something for you. He has something he wants to accomplish in our lives, but he'll never be able to do it. You know why? Because you have no wall around your temple. What a devil... You not only have no wall, you don't even lock the windows of the back screen door. And the things of this world just have their way with you. There's absolutely no protection in your life whatsoever. He just kicks you six ways from Sunday. When somebody comes in and wants to be part of your world or somebody wants to influence you to go do this or be that, you don't even have the wherewithal to discern if you should even do it or not. Even the basic fundamental principles aren't there. Hey, I've seen people that have been in churches for 20, 30 years, and when it came to problems and issues in their life, they ought to live in a little bubble someplace down in New Mexico because they have no protection against anything because they never learned anything in their life of how to make good choices. When something comes in their life that they like, they throw everything they have to the wind and then wonder why they have the issues of life they have. The way it works. It's the way it works. He says, keep thy heart with all diligence. Well, the second thing, put away from thee a froward mouth. Now, froward means reluctant. It means like a perversion. Not willing to yield or comply with what is required or what is right. A froward mouth is an unyielding mouth. An ungovernable mouth. Totally disobedient. And, uh, you, you know, you note, you note the mouth. It says the mouth. And that's because uh, the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So it all goes back to the heart. Now, in the context here, it can be your own mouth that you need to get control over. I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't like her. I don't like him. Or it can be people you associate with, like we saw last week. Psalms 1, walking in the counsel of the ungodly that you listen to, take instruction and counsel from, that either way, it's, it's not a good deal. Negative talk will always produce negative people. It's a simple principle of life. In my life, I have to deal with a lot of negative things that none of you ever have to confront or ever have to deal with. I have to deal with a lot of negative things. Some of you who work with me in one-on-one, you, you understand what I'm saying. You do too, of course. But in my life, I know I have to deal with a lot of negative things that most of you do not. But in my personal life, I make a clear distinction between the two. And I allow, I in my own personal life, I allow no negative people in my world. I just know me too well. I simply will not allow myself to associate with that, with that element. It's nothing that against them. It's not good for me, see? And at the end of the day, i got to give an account of God for me and my attitude of heart, not for yours. I want, I want positive people around me. I want happy people. I want bubbly people. 
I want people who are excited about the Word of God. I want people who can't wait to get here on Sunday morning. Can't wait to hear, because that's the way I am. I mean, I got to go through all the labor of spending 9 or 10, 14 hours all week putting it all together, and I still get excited about coming and, and being part of the, of the Bible. I, I want people around me uh, that there will always uh, be people who, who can't wait to see uh, what God is doing and tell you what God's doing in their life. That's what the pain positive people. People who are excited about God, excited about what God is doing in their life. Hey, there is a million people that I come into contact with in my life, and I'm exaggerating, not a million, there's two million. (laughs) They can't wait to tell you the latest dirt that they just heard. I'm not interested in that. I'm just not. I mean, you talk about a dirt devil. I mean, I'm not into that. I just don't. I mean, vacuum cleaner Christians. They suck up every piece of dirt they is, and when the bag is full... When the old bag gets full, she wants to put it out on everybody else. (laughs) Put away from the froward mouth. Be around people who are going to edify you. Be around people who are going to make you better at what you want to be. Not worse. I want people in my life who are going to sharpen me. I want people in my life who are going to help me be better because they want to be better. Iron sharpeneth iron, the Bible says. Now, the third thing, let thine eyes look right on, and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. In the book of Song of Solomon, it's probably the most intimate book in the Bible, written to you and me to explain, one, how the Lord really thinks about me, and two, what I should really think about him. It's, it's, a, it's a breakdown, a dissertation, where God takes some time, and he, he, he actually tells me, Bob, this, when I see you, this is how I feel toward you. And it's amazing. And then he also gives me, <clears throat> Bob, when you think of me, this is how I want you to look at me. And it gives me some incredible stuff. Personally, I, I'm, I'll be honest with you, and I know what I say. I, I mean what I'm saying here. I don't think you'll ever have a meaningful relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ to His pleasing until you understand the book of Song of Solomon and you can put it together in your life and see those things. It's incredible. We did a Bible study on it. There's a book on it back there we did a number of years ago. I did it early on for that reason. He says in 5.12, His eyes are as dove's eyes. Dove's a type of the Holy Spirit. He says, by the river of waters washed with milk. You know, you get murine because you get the dirt of this old world in your eyes. Well, you look at things in this old world and you get dirt, but murine won't do it spiritually. You got to wash your eyes out with milk, type of the Word of God in the Bible. And then he says, and fitly set. Eyes right on. Eyes fitly set. Eyelids look straight before thee. That simply means seeing things as they really are, not as they appear to be. Most Christians suffer from double vision. Most Christians suffer from a double standard in their life. They never learn to look at any given situation and see it with eyes straight on. Fixed. Fixed not only on the circumstances, but fixed on the principle that defines the circumstances. That's what you're talking about. I love the book of Daniel. And the book of Daniel, there in early part of the book, Daniel's up against the, the best that Babylon has to offer. We know that Babylon's a type of the world. 
Now, when Nebuchadnezzar wants to put Daniel to the test, Daniel says, you know what? I don't want to eat the crap of, 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 of Babylon. You let me eat what I've been eating as a Jewish boy. And you let your people go ahead and do their thing. And at the end of a period of time, you put us together and we'll find out who's better. Now, the thing that he was eating over there, it's all a type of the word of God. It's a picture of a child of God who all his diet exists of is the word of God in his life. And he won't have the things of Babylon. So a time came, put them all together. And the Bible says that Daniel was up against the wisest that Babylon ever had. But it always, it always, it always struck me that it, when it was all said and done, that Daniel, the Bible says, was ten times better than the best that Babylon could offer. You give me a child of God, you give me a young gal, you give me a young guy, you give me somebody who wants the word of God and wants to learn it, you give me about three years of their life, and I'll give you somebody back that is ten times better than anything the world's got to offer. Just that simple, see? Just that simple. You know who he was up against? The Bible, I love this. The Bible says that he, the Nebuchadnezzar called in his magicians. Now, I got some news for you. There are no real magicians. There was a movie out, it's on TBS here. You got to watch it. It's got Tony Curtis in it about the great Houdini. Been on the last couple of months. Houdini probably was the best. You don't even know who Houdini is. You think he was Mussolini's brother. He was the greatest magician of the world. But in this movie, and then I read his life story years ago, it shows you that, I mean, this guy did some incredible things. He was going to escape from handcuffs in a box that was chained around and put down in the, in the Hudson River off, off, off New York. And the chain broke and he fell down to the bottom and they couldn't find him. It was covered with ice. They had to cover it on ice. And for four hours... For four hours, they didn't find him. The newspapers were putting out Houdini died, he died, he died. And then four hours later, he pops to the surface. He made $100 million off of that. And it wasn't a trick, but he told later how he did it. When he got out of there, he couldn't find the hole. So what he did was, is he got up to the ice and he found pockets of ice that had air in them. And for three and a half hours, he kept breathing through that and then tried to find a hole. Finally, he found it. The water was like 32 degrees. This idiot would get in a bathtub and they would bring ice in and ice him down in cold water for hours so he could stand it. But it was all an illusion. David Copperfield, you know, was a, is a great musician. He made a 7, 737 or 707 or a big airplane, 747 disappear. Wonder where he was the night that that Malaysian flight took off. <laughs> Just thought of that. Anyway, There are no magicians. They're illusionists. All a magician does is give you an illusion that something happened that didn't happen. And when Daniel went up against the magicians, the word of God held true. And I'm telling you, in this world we live in, everything you think out there is real is an illusion. And it takes the word of God and eyes fitly set, eyelids right on to see what it really is. Instead of seeing the illusion. I'm telling you, man. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. The word of God will always give you the reality of things as they really are without any illusion involved. But some people love illusion. I mean, they do. 
Oh, I'm okay when you're not. Well, my marriage is fine when it's not. Oh, my kids are saved and on the way to heaven when they're not. My relationship is okay with God when it's not. The dream world of Christianity. Now, this is why people don't like Bible-believing churches or Bible-believing preachers. Because the Word of God strips the illusion from you. You may come in here with an illusion of one thing. You will leave without that illusion. That's what the Word of God does. Don't get mad at me. Now, the fourth thing. Verse 26. Ponder the path of thy feet. Now, you walk down life's road, the path of life. We know now that there's two paths. And this basically is talking about putting goals in your life of things spiritual. Setting some benchmarks along the pathway. Measuring your spiritual growth. Not just being satisfied that you're on the path, but you want to continue to be and keep going where God wants you to go. One of my favorite personal verses is in Luke chapter 2, verse 19. It's one of my most intimate verses in my heart. And I catch myself a hundred times a day with situations that I'm faced with. And it's about Mary. And Mary had given birth to the Lord Jesus Christ, Matthew chapter 2. The wise men had come, and the angels and everybody were talking about glory to God in the highest, and they brought him they brought him the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh and all that stuff, and they lined up the, all the three offices of, the, of, of Christ, you know, and, and she's been told now that all this stuff, and it's got to be an overwhelming day. She just had a child, and now here comes strangers from the east and everybody else around. There's a whole choir of angels out there singing, you know, whatever they're singing, and it's incredible. And she's taken all of that in, and now she's faced with the contemplation that she has given birth to the Messiah. And the Bible says in that great verse, and Mary, when she saw all those things, pondered them in her heart. That's one of the greatest verses in the Bible for me. Pondering things that God has done in your life, in your heart. Bible talks about keeping your heart right with God. One of the ways you'll keep it is not to forget what God has done. Pondering. Thinking about God should be your favorite pastime. My favorite daydream is thinking about what God has done. You know, many of you come over one-on-one with me on a regular basis, and I know, I know you think you get a lot from me. Uh, but, boy, I'll tell you what, it's a two-way street. And many of you uh, sit down and, and you'll start asking questions or we'll start going through something in the Bible. And your questions and your angle that you've come at it is a way that I've never seen it before. It'll open doors for me. And, you know, I may have a busy night that night and the night the next night, but all the time. And I may not even get around to what we talked about till maybe a week later. But I'm telling you, every day of my life, I'm pondering about that thing that we talked about till I get in there to work it down in my Bible. I think pondering on the things of God is probably the, really the key to everything in our life, our attitude of heart. It's certainly the key to a peaceful life that we have with God in a non-hectic world or in a hectic world. Isaiah 26.3 says, That will keep him in perfect peace. Why? Whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Now, the fifth thing, he says, let all thy ways be established. We saw a couple of weeks ago when I laid out the uh, thing about Samuel back there in 1 Samuel 3, the process of God calling you. 
and how the Bible said that in time God established him. Now, in our ministry here, this is where, when God does this in your life, this is where you become invaluable to our work here. And I'll say it again. Because every time you start talking about it, you always get people who say, well, you know about so-and-so what I do. I know, I know, I know. I'll say it one more time. Get it down this time. There are no perfect people, okay? There are no perfect people. There are no perfect pastors. There are no perfect churches. So with that being said, if you ever find a perfect church, do not join it. Because you will mess it up. <laughs> But there will be people who struggle with the same flesh that you and I have. There will be people who struggle with the same issues of life that we have. Who will yield themselves to the principles. Who will give themselves to uh, uh, the, the things of God and His Word. And to this ministry. And in time... As they grow, in spite of the fact that they're not perfect, in spite of the fact they have an old nature, in spite of the fact that they struggle with things in life, because they're consistent and they're growing in time, God will bring them to a point that he will establish them. And brother, that's when you start to get some things done for God. And you see the difference in a glance. You see it in their families, their kids, their children. They're in church beside them. They love the Lord. They're all saved. You see, you see the difference uh, in their attitude of heart toward the Word of God. Man, I mean, they, they, just, they just, everything in their life revolves around the Bible. And, you know, I've had people have come to this church before, you know, and talk to them afterwards. And they say, well, I, I really liked it. But, man, you guys do, I, I don't know, you guys do, the, everything's around the Bible. No kidding. <laughs> but I understand where that comes from in the world that we live in today. You see the people who their lives attract. Because their lives are real. They see the difference. I think one of the greatest examples I keep hearing over and over and over again who the people that I get to work with, that your life impacted them, that they wouldn't be here because of, of me, uh, uh, wouldn't be here because of you, not me, is that when I start to sit down and talk, and it happens all the time. I sit down and talk with them, and the first thing they start telling me, well, I was with so-and-so, and we know them and know that, and you know what? His wife or him told us that, that, that they were, they were, their life, their marriage was on the rocks, everything was a mess, and until they got God and got the things of God and got, you know, really the Word of God in their life, it's the, you, your own struggles that you went through now become the very thing that is the catalyst for somebody else. And when they see the difference in your life, when they see the difference in your children, when they see the difference in your family, when they see the difference in your marriage, they want it. They want it. Every aspect of your life, God establishes you. And I'll, I'll tell them all the time. I'll tell couples all the time. They're sitting there, you know, and they got some marriage issues they got to work with or some problem. They and I'll tell them after they tell me that stuff, I'll say, you know what? In two years' time, year time, year and a half time, if you keep doing what the Word of God says and you continue to love it the way you appear to love it and the way you go after it, you know what's going to happen? You'll be sitting down with somebody and you'll be helping them through the same things that you're going through because that's the way God does. He establishes people. He doesn't establish you because you're good looking. In that case, you all are out of the boat. <clears throat> he doesn't establish you based on how much money you have. 
He establishes you based on your willingness to give him your attitude of heart and love him and get that word in your life and let God change about you what needs to be changed. And through the process of spiritual growth, he establishes you. Let all thy ways be established. Number six. Turn not to the right nor to the left. Now this goes back to the path of life we talked about last week. And even today. God, when we get saved, has a course of life for all of us. Now we talk a lot about it in our discipleship. I think it's lesson six. We deal with God's will and God's plan for your life. Most people think they're the same. Of course, if you know your Bible, you know they're not. God has a plan for every one of you, and that plan is different. Mike, God has a plan for you, but it's not the same plan for him. Gary, God has a plan for you. It's not the same plan as Jean. God's got a plan for you, but it's not the same plan for her. Josh, he's got a plan for you, but not the same as Kevin. It, everybody's plan that God has is different. He's got something different he wants you to do. So your plan may be different, but... When it comes to the will of God, that will be the same for everybody. The will of God is always that God wants you to be more like Jesus Christ every day of your life and everything that you do, everything that you think, everything that place you go. When you work at fulfilling the will of God in your life, then God, through that process, will fulfill God's plan in your life. Amen. And you'll never mess up being where God wants you to be. You never will. God, has, I'm telling you, if you're saved here this morning, you may never get there. I don't know. I hope you do. You may never get there. You may never make it. But it won't be because God doesn't want you to make it. And it will not be because that God does not have a plan for you. God, if you're saved this morning, God has a plan for every man and every woman sitting under the sound of my voice. He has something he wants you to do. And there's no exceptions to it. And when you get saved, God begins to put that... But you've got to get on the path. As God fulfills His will in your... If you fulfill your will in your life, God's will, then He fulfills the plan. But that path, that you're not to turn right or left, it's called in the Bible the straight and narrow. There's not enough latitude. You can't get off left or right. You've got to stay on the, the right path. Not getting off into the woods someplace. My favorite, and every, I look at, when I look, no matter what I look at, I'm always thinking of it in terms of Christian ministry, people, whatever. I think, talking about this issue, the number one movie that, that lays this thing out and illustrates to me, and maybe it won't mean anything to you, but the movie to me, every time I see it, I laugh till I cry, but I always think that's so many, a picture of God's people, is Family Vacation with Shelby Chase. <laughs> I watch that movie every time it's on. And I laugh. I've seen it a thousand times, and I still cry laughing so hard at it. I don't know what to tell And I don't know why. The other ones that come after it really don't. But that first one, Family Vacation. Maybe it's because it reminds me of so many of God's people. I don't know. Now, the whole family is going to Wally World. But the whole movie is one hilarious disaster after another. That by the time they finally get to Wally World, it's all closed. And if you look at the movie and analyze the movie, the thing that messed them up to ever get to Wally World is all the side trips that they took. 
Stopping off in East St. Louis at 1 o'clock in the morning was not a very good idea as a side trip. Getting into Kansas and spending three or four days looking for the world's biggest gopher hole wasn't the smartest side trip either when they wrecked the thruster mobile. <clears throat> and how about the side trip with the two days with Cousin Eddie? <laughs> and it's the same with us. God has a goal for us that we're on a straight and narrow. But it's all them stupid side trips that we get taken. All the side trips that get us off the path of righteousness, that kills us. Gives us the downtime. Gives us the wrong friends, the wrong places, the wrong relationships. When you stay on the right path, the road of God... You can have everything you want and be like a king. You have the very best. When you take a side strip to Cousin Eddie's, then you get hamburger helper without any hamburger in it. And just like Lot took Abraham that caused him all kinds of problems, they took Aunt Edna. And when you go down the life road with Aunt Edna with a little dog, the dog winds up pottying on your sandwiches. <laughs> the side trips of life look like they're fun. The side trips of life look like they're great until you got to eat the sandwich. <laughs> Stay on the path. Stay on the straight path. Turn not from the right or to the left. Then the last thing he says, the seventh one is, remove not thy foot from, uh, remove thy, remove thy foot from evil. Galatians five sixteen says, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The last thing he says here is, watch your step. Look well to your going. Keep your mind on your own business and not somebody else's. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, that we as Christians are to walk circumspectly, not as fools. The Christian is to be careful how he walks and where he walks. His walk through this world will be in darkness. We know that. And in that dark world, will never lay snares, pitfalls, traps, that moving through life in this darkness will get you every time. But thank God for the word of God, for the entrance of thy word giveth light. And in the dark pilgrimage of my life through this dark world, the Word of God is the lamp under my feet and the light under my path that shows me through the principles where the pitfalls and the snares are. Therefore, I can avoid them. The light of the Word of God will illuminate our walk and show you where to walk and, more importantly, where not to walk. Now, let's go back to verse 20 for a moment as we close this out today, where we started reading. He said, My son, attend to my words, and climb thine ear unto my sayings. Verse 21 says, Let them not depart from thine eyes, keep them in the midst of thine heart. Now I leave you with these four things that we all need to do and continue to do in our relationship with God. The first thing he says in verse 20 is, Attend to my words. Pay attention. Don't just pay attention, but be in attendance. That word has a lot of different connotations to it. Be there when the Word of God is taught. Let nothing keep you from it. 
right attitude of heart about the Word of God. We saw in Samuel a couple of weeks ago uh, that Samuel let none of his words fall to the ground. I told you last week in chapter 4, verse 13, a couple of weeks ago, that uh, you want to keep the Word of God because the Bible says, She is thy life. Second thing, verse 20, Incline thine ear unto my sayings. In a moral sense, that means to learn, to go in a direction of learning. I'm inclined to go that way. A purpose in your learning. To move in a direction, specific direction of learning. To go up an incline, it takes work. You have to give extra effort. And the Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.15, it takes you to be a workman. You have to give extra effort if you're going to learn the Word of God. Then the third thing, verse 21, let them not depart from thine eyes. Eyes are the window of the soul, the Bible says. God says, read what I've written unto you. The light of the body is the eye. Keep the principles before your eyes. Keep them before your family, your children. Keep them on your refrigerator, on your sink tops, on your mirrors, on your dashboard, in your kids' rooms. Let them not depart from thine eyes. You want to bathe your eyes and the eyes of your kids and your family in the principles. Everywhere they look, they'll be able to see a principle. I've been in your homes, and they're everywhere you find. You've got little three-by-five cards, little stickums everywhere. The fourth thing, verse 21. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. Now, I guess this is probably the most important aspect of all this, because the only way to keep your heart toward God is to keep His Word in the midst of your heart. Now, memorizing Scripture is good. I understand that. But you must understand that memorizing Scripture alone won't do it for you. Because it isn't just memorizing the verses any more than it is just reading the Bible. But it's utilizing what you read. It's taking the principles and not just hiding them in your heart, but using them in your life. In every situation in your life. I've met Christians all my life that they, they, I believe they have the Word of God in their heart. I believe that they probably have memorized some Scripture. But when they're faced with an issue in life, they just fall completely apart. And it's simple. I mean, it's simple. It's because they simply are, they're, they're, they're reading it and they're memorizing it, but they're not utilizing it. And it'll never do you any good. Receiving it first, but you have to apply it second. It does no good to memorize the principles if you don't learn to apply them in any given situation. It's just that simple. Now, it doesn't do any good just to have all of this stuff that I'm giving out to you if you're not going to actually learn and apply it. Every one of you is faced with scenarios every day of your life. You won't get out of here 15 minutes, then you'll have to make some choices in life. And that process will start all over again. There will be people who will try to get you to go to another way. There will be people who try to talk you out of what you want to do. There will be people that, in situations that you'll be faced with that you have to make moral judgments on that will affect your life, your kids, your marriage if you're married. And there's things that you're going to have to face today, tomorrow, and all through this next week that you alone are going to have to deal with. And the thing that will make the difference in your life, in your family, in your marriage, in your children, is to understand that the issues of life come from your heart. 
Therefore, you have to, with all diligence, keep your heart. You have to do whatever you got to do. And there's only one way to do that, and that's to keep the Word of God in the midst of your heart. Develop an attitude that you love that book more than anything on this planet. Want to spend time with that book more than any man or any woman that ever walked this planet. And the moment you don't, you're in trouble. The moment you want to go to this, or you want to go to that, or you want to do this. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of that. But life is, has to be a balance. Anything you put in abundance more than your walk with God and the Word of God and takes precedent over that, going to wind you up in trouble. It's just that simple. It'll give you that threefold cocktail mix of disaster. It'll cause you spiritual problems, which will lead to your emotional problems, which will lead to your physical problems. And you'll become a basket case. You'll become a wreck. You won't be how to function in anything good over stuff that simply, if you have been applying the principles and building your catalog and operating in your life in every other area, nothing shows in any of our lives, nothing shows what we've really done with the Word of God till you're put in a situation where you're squeezed and you have to make some good moral choices based on the principles. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Attitude produces action. Whatever your attitude about the things in life in will be the exact action that comes out of it. When your attitude is based on the principles, then whatever the situation is, your action will be right on the money. When it's not, then your actions will be all over the page and it will be whatever you want to do. Nothing, nothing betrays us more than what, as Christians, what we do up against what the Bible says we should do. These are the issues of life. On your way out, don't forget to sign up for the taco thing this week. 